IDK, what's going on with the Golden Globes, but IDK, how GOT don't win best TV series. You are locked on fantasy basketball, your daily podcast on fantasy basketball. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and as always you can find me on Twitter at RedRock underscore B-Ball. I am the lead fantasy analyst at BasketballMonster.com so make sure you're checking us out there. And of course checking out the rest of the Locked On Podcast Network you can find the network over on Twitter at LockedOnNBANet. So go and follow there so you can find out when the latest episode of your favorite team is released. Today's podcast, it's going a little bit early today. Uh, the, the the late games haven't been completed. So uh, currently recording at halftime of the Spurs and Kings game. So I won't get a, a recap of that one in the Hawks or the Clippers or the Nuggets or the Warriors. But if anything massive happens in those games, we'll cover it in tomorrow's show. Just have to go a little bit early on today program, but uh, um, you know that I'll cover all that stuff or answer any questions that you have on Twitter or on tomorrow's show as well. So we're going to do all the usual stuff. We're going to break down the games from Monday. We're going to preview Tuesday's action. We're going to have a player spotlight, and I'm going to answer one of your questions. So let's get to it. To it. Let's get to it indeed. We will start with the monstrous line of the night, and it goes to Chrissy Paul of the Houston Rockets. Paul was obviously very impressive in this win against the Bulls. 24-8-9, three threes, two steals, one block, 8 of 17 from the field and 5 of 5 from the line. He's the 8th ranked player so far this season, averaging only only 17.5 points, but it's 2.5 threes. We're talking 5.5 boards and 9.3 assists and 2 steals per game. And over the last four games, he's really ratcheted that up. 19-7-11 and 11 with 1.5 steals and 3 triples. Now, in that time, his efficiency has dropped down to just 43% from the field, but I imagine that will come back up, especially when Jim Harden returns. It's been a bumpy road for Chris Paul owners this season with all that time miss with the knee and then a couple games with that groin issue, but now he's getting a real chance to show exactly what he can do in James Harden's absence. In fact, over his last 13 games, he's averaging 21 uh, 21, 6, and 8.5, so really got that scoring average up. Not a guy that you expect to finish the season with a 20-point-per-game average. But he's putting up you know, fantastic first-round numbers, and he was not a player that you drafted in the first round in the majority of cases. He was a guy I think we had maybe as the 10th or 11th best player heading into the season, and you could have got him at 13, 14, 15 as the uncertainty with how he would mesh alongside Jim Harden was uh, purveying through the uh, fantasy, the fantasy basketball world. But it's been fine. The numbers are there. And uh, they're going to continue to to get better, I think, as he plays more solo time and then gets more reintegrated, along with Jim when he returns from his uh, from his hamstring injury. The waiver wire line of the night is also the young gun of the night, and it is Denzel the Hammer Valentine, nineteen eight and five for the Hammer, five triples, one steal, and seven of twelve from the field. He has been, I think, up and down is probably the oh, it's, it's one of the ways that I could put it. I could also put it this way. Sometimes it may be good, sometimes it may be shit. 
Yep, that's uh, it's pretty accurate for the Hammer. He's the 141st ranked player this season in 29 minutes. He's 130th over the last month, but over his last four games, he's averaging 12, 6.5, and, and 3 with 2.53s and 1.3 steals. And really, the major thing that it comes down to with the Hammer is how's he going to shoot? He's at 42% from the, for the season, but over the last month, he's at 47% and 38% from three. If those shots will fall for him, then his numbers are going to be pretty steady. The concern you have with him, of course, is when Zach Levine returns. We're going to hear more about Levine's return on Tuesday. Gar Packs are going to be mentioning where Levine is. I don't think that Levine's going to be playing big minutes for the month of January, at least probably until after the All-Star break, and will be uh, you know, sitting out some back-to-backs. But Valentine's overall playing time, he's not going to be seeing this 29 minutes per game. I would expect him to lose the majority of that playing time. You see Justin Holiday push across to the three, then there's there's you're going to have Levine, Holiday, Valentine, and Waba to take those minutes at the two and the three, and that's going to significantly impact what the Hammer's able to do. Yeah, he's, a, he's an interesting short-term guy. He can provide assists from the small forward position. He can hit threes and he can hit them fairly well. He's at 40% for the season. But overall, that impact's going to drop and he's probably going to be more of a 16-team league guy, maybe a 14-team league guy when all is said and done when this season's over. But he was a guy that I was pretty interested in last season, hated the way that he was used. Uh, and I, I like what he's done. He's still not going. He's never going to be an all-star player or anything along those lines. But he can fill it up as long as that shot falls, which we uh, saw in today's game. The dud of the night. Kevin Love, the whole Cleveland Cavaliers team was not hot, but Love really epitomized it. Three points, two rebounds. He has one triple on one of seven shooting. I'm not going to blame this entirely on Isaiah Thomas returning. It was just a shitful performance in general from the Cavs. But this was the we did have a concern with Kevin Love dropping off since Thomas came back. And over his last six games, Kev is the 96th ranked player. That is not ideal. He's seen a usage drop of 1.5% over that time, but mainly his shooting has really dropped off 40% as opposed to 46% for the season, a 2% drop on his uh, on his three-pointer. So it's his twos that have really dropped off. So I, this level of drop is not something that I think is going to be the case as we move forward, but I do, as I've mentioned many times, do believe that his numbers will drop once Thomas starts cracking over this second half of the season. We'll see Love drop from the 25th-ranked player probably to a guy that yeah, sneaks himself inside the top 50. Your sell-high window is probably done on Love, especially after today's game. But maybe if he goes out and has a monster in the next couple, you could try and sell and try and get him for a top 30 guy. So I just don't believe that he will finish the season in that position. But this game, of course, is not totally representative. or It's not representative in any sort of stretch of anyone's imagination of what Love is going to be able to do with Thomas back. He'll be better than this, but he won't be as good as what with the peak we saw from him to begin the season, which is unfortunate because he was really, really good in that time. Now it's time for me to answer a question from one of the listeners to this podcast and today's question comes from Screech Diddy. I am guessing that's not a real name at Screech Diddy. He says, what are your favorite podcasts to listen to? And I've listed, how many have I listed down here? Six. Can I count? Yes, six. Some basketball, some not. Uh, My number one basketball podcast that I listen to is Dunked On with Nate and uh, Nate Duncan and Danny LaRue. Listen to that all the time. There's great stuff in there. You can translate a lot of the information that they talk about uh, to fantasy. It's great to support two independent guys as well who are, who are going out there and doing their own thing, much like myself in terms of podcasting. So Nate and Danny 
great guys as well, but also the, the information they put out is fantastic. So I do recommend you listen to Dunked On and listen to the starters as well. I mainly listen to their longer form stuff, like uh, the Twitter show on Tuesdays or the drop on Fridays, but their, their TV show, I don't listen to as much. I more listen to the longer form stuff that they do. Um, they're the two basketball ones that are high in my rotation. Of course, I listen to Zach Lowe. I listen to uh, Sam Vecini in Game Theory as well. And if I want to listen to draft stuff, I listen to the guys at the Stepien, to Sean and Cole over there. So they're sort of, I guess, one tier below in the rotation. And then I listen to some other stuff. Uh, I listen to TV Avalanche for stuff about TV shows with our Alan Seppenwall. I listen to the Team Effort podcast, an Australian comedy podcast, Ed Cavalier, Ash Williams, uh, Tony Martin on that one. Um, and then I listen to the Daily Zeitgeist and Pod Save America. It says my uh, cultural, political, news sort of base podcast. So the six that I have is my uh, top priority podcast that I try and listen to as soon as they come out. So Dunked On, The Starters, Team Effort, TV Avalanche, Pod Save America, and The Daily Zeitgeist. So thank you to Screech for uh, for sending that question in. Now, let's get into these box scores and break down the five games that have completed so far uh, in the NBA. Let's uh, get into those and talk about them. The first game we'll look at is the Milwaukee Bucks getting their pants pulled down by the uh, by the Indiana Pacers. The Bucks have had some embarrassing losses. This was another one of those games. Eric Bledsoe, just the 28 minutes, 11-2-2 with four steals and a block. In a few of these games today, you'll see that minutes were really reduced across the board because of the smashing nature of the contests. Malcolm Brogdon did start. He didn't see his minutes reduced. 38 minutes for Brogo, 12-5-4. The two games that Brogdon has started over Tony Snell have not gone well for the Bucks. I have advocated plenty of times that I think that Brogdon's a better player than Snell and that he probably should start over Snell. I'm not so hung up about him starting. I just want him to make sure he continually gets more minutes than Snell. And if Jason Kidd finds it easier to do that in a starting role, then so be it. But if Brogdon has to move back to the bench, I'm not going to be up in arms unless he goes out there and plays 24 minutes and guys like the sexy boy Sean Kilpatrick play more minutes. That would be the concern. But Brogdon, the minutes are fine at the moment. And of course, he has to be owned. The Muppet John Henson had 12 and 6 in 24 minutes. Middleton had 19, 5 and 4. And Yanni was very, very quiet early on, ended with 17 and 7 with two steals. Uh, the sexy boy had seven points, but Sterling Brown, a guy that one of those players whose rookie translations looked quite good, he showed it here. 11 points on a perfect four of four shooting, hit three triples, had two steals. His high steal rate does make him an appealing fantasy guy, but he's going to have to battle the corpse of Jason Terry, the recently signed Sean Kilpatrick, Kilpatrick to get those backup minutes, but he's played well in pretty much every opportunity that he's had. I know Bucks fans really liked what Brown has been able to do. So in a deeper league, a deeper dynasty, he is a name to watch out for because I don't really believe in Snell, as you've heard me say plenty of times. And Brown could really move into that role and even be like a 25-minute starter in the next two seasons and be able to produce with some steals and threes at at a much better rate than what Snell does. Onto the paces, Oladipo, yeah, great again, 15-3 and 5 with 3 steals, while Miles Turner, only 24 minutes, and Turner owners would be pissed, 15-6, and 6, 2 steals and 3 blocks, because he was putting up huge numbers in those 24 minutes, but he hurt his elbow early on in a dunk, uh, on a dunk 5 minutes in, and that's really what limited his playing time in this one, so it wasn't a case of 
uh, McMillan screwing things up, it was that he was sore. Now, his replacement, DeMontis Sabonis, also had a big game, 17 and 10 in 24 minutes. They split those center minutes evenly, but he also had an issue with his wrist. So both of those guys, we want to monitor the, the status of both of their upper appendages just to see how it pans out. But that's a good return from Miles, and it's a good performance for Sabonis, and he should probably be owned in all standard leagues. The Deuce Young also had a bit of a bounce back, 15 and 8. He'd been putrid recently up until this game. Um, I think still think he's a borderline 12, probably a guy that I would own in 12-team leagues. Boyan, not Boyan, Boyan Bogdanovich returned from his ankle. He had 11-2-4 and four in 22 minutes. He hasn't really cracked 30 minutes in three in the last three or four games. He's not a 12-team league guy anyway, but when Glenn Robinson eventually returns, maybe Boyan loses some of that playing time. The next game, the Toronto Raptors and the Brooklyn Nets. Serge Ibaka, 11-12 with two steals and six blocks. Really brought the defense here in this overtime game. But the big story, I guess, is going to be Kyle Lowry. 18-5-11 for Lowry in 38 minutes. But in overtime, he crashed to the court, landed on his back really hard, struggled to get up, couldn't stand, and was carried off the court. Now, he's... As of me recording this, he went to the locker rooms to have x-rays, not on his back, uh, on his ass. So that was, uh, that was exactly what I said. Go and have x-rays on my ass. So that was, uh, always, um, always good to hear. But that, I, I guess, I reckon that probably leads us to a little bit more caution. Yeah, landing on your back's annoying. You can get some spasms there, but landing on your bum, you could have issues with coccyx fractures, and that's a significant injury. Now, I think that we're probably going to be okay there. Uh, and I'm almost certain that Lowry's not going to play on Tuesday. We talked about yesterday's show how good the um, how good the uh, how good the Raptors um, schedule was for this week. So that is obviously a uh, a little bit of a of a concern in terms of how we uh, how we move forward with that. But the guy you want to look to grab there is going to be Dion Wright if he wasn't owned already. Or deeper leagues, it's Freddie Van Vliet. Let's just hope that we don't have a situation with Lowry being out long-term because obviously that would be a massive pain in the ass. But for now, we just wait. I'm just checking to see if there's been any news released on Kyle at this point. Um, no, nothing yet. So we're still waiting to see and get that information on the uh, on the x-rays. DeRozan had 35-3-6, triple one for him as well. Efficient shooting. He's going to have an increased usage and a, a huge output, I think, if Lowry misses. The other guy that I think benefits is my boy Jonas Valanciunas. Another big game from him, 21 and 13 in 26 minutes. And again, the old adage rings true. You give him minutes and the production will come. Now, I know Lowry being out doesn't necessarily make 100% sense saying, oh, yeah, why is Lowry being out meaning more Valanciunas? Well, it means they need more offense from somewhere, and Pirtle and Bebe aren't going to provide that. So it might mean that they have to go with JV for you know, two, three, four more minutes of extra offense to get that scoring out there to take a little bit of the extra load off DeRozan. So that's why if he was dropped, and you know, rightfully so, given the fact that he barely played 20 minutes in the last three games, He's someone that I'd add for this stretch to see how it goes. Now, D-Lon had a triple one in his 29 minutes, but I guess the 29 minutes is what's more important. Well, Jakob Pertl, under 10 minutes for the second consecutive game as Bebo Noguera outplayed him. Those two just seem like they're going back and forward continually in terms of their playing time. I do like Pertl, but it's given the way that Casey has managed it, it's hard to see Pertl being a consistent standard league guy. Jaleel Okafor for the Nets, 10 minutes, 2 points, 1 rebound. That's three games since he came back from his conditioning. 2 points and 2 rebounds in the first one, 12 and 5 with 2 blocks in the second one, and everyone was getting real turgid about that game. 
and then back to being shitful again. Two points and one rebound in 10 minutes. I'll say it again. I don't think he's a 10. I don't think he's a 12. I don't think he's a 14-team league guy. He just isn't good enough. Uh, Jarrett Allen looks strong here, 14 and 5 in his 18 minutes, while Spencer Dinwiddie, just brilliant stuff. 31, 5 and 8, 2 steals, 3 triples, 42 minutes. Now, D'Angelo Russell has gotten back on court finally. We still don't have a timetable for him to return, so I don't think we're going to be seeing D'Angelo this week, maybe at some point next week. But then the big question is what happens to Dinwiddie? I think initially there will be no real impact on Spencer. He might lose a minute or two, but will they continue to play them together? There's also Karis Levert in that mix. How does that all pan out? For now, of course, we must own Dinwiddie, but it is going to be interesting to see how that all pans out. The blue swimmer was strong again, 20-7 and seven with four triples for Alan Crabb in 34 minutes. He hurt his knee late, but was able to return to the game, so that's a, a positive sign. While Rondé Hollis-Jefferson had 14-17 and 17 with five assists and two steals. There are leagues where he is still on the waiver wire. I, uh, I don't understand it, but that's uh, that's just uh, just where where he is with, uh, with that part. So... Um, yeah, just just make sh- make sure that uh, Ronde is uh, is not sitting on the waiver wire in your in your league because if he is, um, yeah, you need to make sure he is owned. I'm just having a look here for some Lowry stuff. They're saying that he's going to be re uh, reevaluated on Tuesday with an acute back spasm. Is the information I have got at the moment, but that's not uh, not a hundred percent confirmed. I'm just double checking to see what else I can see about that. All right, so that's the uh, that's the information there on Kyle Lowry. So if it's just a back spasm, you would imagine he misses just the one game. So that's obviously a, a positive sign there. Jumping Joe Harris started in place of Damari Carroll. He had twelve and six with two triples. Uh, he, he has you know, maybe twelve team value as long as Carroll is out. I would imagine that Carroll misses another couple of games, and that can give Joe some short term value. But it's obviously yeah fairly limited in terms of what he is able to do as we move forward. This next game, the Cavs and the Wolves, just an absolute ass-kicking. Really not much to harp on. Uh, Jeff Green had 22 points My name is Jeff. in 27 minutes, but the minutes are all over the place for these games because it was such a smashing. But Isaiah Thomas smashed Andrew Wiggins in the face as, as Wiggins was trying to drive past him, just really cracked him in the mouth, got ejected for that. It was it was a weird thing to see. And you know, I know I talked about it yesterday, but I didn't see any any sort of bullshit comments about Thomas, oh, so dirty, what are you doing, stick to rugby, any bullshit like that one that was 100% more more dirty than anything Delavadova did. I don't think it was massively dirty, but Thomas has a little bit of history as well. We saw him uh, he had chirping at, at Dennis Schroeder. I think he threw a punch at him at one point maybe two years ago. So he's not a guy that's without uh, issues in that area. He's already received a, a tech in his second game back, and now he's been ejected in his third game back. There's a, there's a little something there. I'm not, not calling him a dirty player at all, but that wasn't a great look for Isaiah to smack Wigo as he drove through. On the Wolves, Jim Butler, 21-8-9 with three steals. He was strong and only played 27 minutes, probably the most miraculous part of the entire day. Townsie had 19-12, and Taj had 16-13, and and Wigo, another strong game. That's two in a row, and that's pretty much all you can hope for for Wiggins at the moment. 25-6, and but of course, just nothing happening in those other categories. But when he can actually hit his free throws, where he went five from six here, that's something where you take that as a bonus, considering how piss poor he's been in that area all season. Tyus Jones... This is why you would have picked him up. Eight assists and two steals. Only 28 minutes with six six points. So not a huge amount happening in those other areas, but those stats that he did provide are obviously fairly useful. While Gorgie Jeng had 11 and 8 in 26 minutes, but that's in large part due to the fact that this game was a blowout. So don't get all excited about seeing an 11 and 8 game from Gorgie Jeng. We even had Shabazz Muhammad play. That's how, uh, that's how badly we know that this game was a huge blowout. The Rockets and the Bulls. 
Eric Gordon, great again. He's going to continue to be like this as long as Harden is out. 24-6-9 with four triples. I will try and trade him. And if you can get anyone approaching top 50 value, I will do it. We've seen it already. Chris Paul out at the beginning of the season. Eric Gordon goes off. Chris Paul comes back and he drops right off. James Harden out. Chris Paul, uh, Eric Gordon goes bananas. And when Harden comes back, the same thing's going to happen to Gordon. The ball's going to come out of his hands. The assists are going to drop. The free throw attempts are going to drop. The usage is going to drop. And his value is going to tumble outside the top 100. So see if you can get something for him now. Clinker Pala, 15 and 16 in 34 minutes. While Gerald Green just continues to shoot crazy. 22 points with four triples on uh, 53% shooting. He was four of nine from three. Didn't do too much else, but the 26 minutes were encouraging, especially considering Eric Gordon played some point guard in this one, and that limited Briante Weber's playing time. Green is a guy that you own for now in the points and threes category, but of course, this level of shooting, it's something that's not going to be possible for him to continue. Ryan Anderson will continue with what he's doing, and that's uh, being terrible. Six points in 26 minutes. On to the Bulls. Chris Dunn started this game poorly, but ended with a good stat line, and that's something that you love from a fantasy guy. 19-4-8 with three steals and a block for Chrissy. And with Nick Miritich out of this game, Punch Bob Shiplow played a lot of minutes. 33 minutes for Bobby Portis, 22-4 and four on 17 shots. He also played a lot of center with Robin Lopez only seeing 15 minutes and Chris Felicio just the seven. So we had a lot of Markin and Portis front courts. If Miritich is about to be traded or, or going to be traded at some point, Portis could sneak into some back-end 12-team league value as the backup four and playing some backup four, five in 24, 25 minutes a night. That's a distinct possibility. So Portis could be someone to look at there. Justin Holiday had 11-4-4 four, four, while Lowry Markinen played 34 minutes and had 16-8 and eight, with Miritich sitting this one out due to that uh, gastric distress. The uh, Detroit Pistons and the New Orleans Pelicans, Andre Drummond returned. He looked fine. 39 minutes, 16 and 14 with two steals and a block, while Avery Bradley started off this game abysmally. And then I tweeted, you know, is he going to keep this starting job? And then I don't think he missed a shot after that. Ended with 24, 3 and 6, a steal, a block and three triples. Exactly what Avery Bradley owners were interested in. He was really bordering into that drop zone. But of course, you know, after this, you're not going to drop him. Toby Harris, 25, 5 and 4, while Reggie Bullock, couldn't hit the shots at 60%, shocker, but still played 32 minutes even though he didn't start the second half. Tone Tolliver did 10-3-3 with two triples for Bullock. I don't believe he's a standard league guy. He's a streamer for two for, for three-pointers, maybe for steals, but he is not a must-own player in my mind. Ish Smith had 16-6-4, while Dwight Bikes got those majority of the backup point guard minutes again at 10 and one for him in those 14 minutes. But of course, that's just a deeper league scenario. Anthony Davis had 30 and 10, played 27 minutes, twisted his ankle and didn't return to the game. It's Anthony Davis bingo. Let's hope that he recovers quickly. X-rays were negative. We know that he's a very, very fast healer in these sort of circumstances. So we'll be uh, hoping that he doesn't miss any time. If he does miss time, it really does boost Rajon Rondo's value. It boosts Drew Holiday's value. And we'd likely see Dante Cunningham starting, but that's really just an 18, 16 team league sort of a spot. He's not becoming 12 team relevant all of a sudden. Boog had 20 and 10 with two steals, two blocks and four assists. And I think probably the biggest... Uh, win here for Cousins is that he didn't get ejected in this game. He was just bitching and moaning and getting into punch-ons with Eric Morland pretty much all game. It somehow stayed in and played 40 minutes. Etwan Moore got super hot, 79% shooting for 23 points, while Rondo had 12, 4, and 15 in 32. And I think he's going to be in line for 30-plus minutes for however long that Davis misses misses out. All right, that is all of the games that have, uh, that have been... Um, played at this point. Like I said, this, we're recording this podcast a little bit earlier today. 
I'm going to take a, uh, a quick break now, and then we're going to come back and we're going to look at uh, the player spotlight. And then, of course, we're going to go through and look at DFS for Tuesday, where we've got four games on. Today's song is, uh, what's it going to be? It's going to be Propeller by Jake McKelvey and the Countertops, and then I'll be back to talk some DFS. Just checking up the news on Kyle Lowry. He's been uh, diagnosed with acute back spasms and he'll be reevaluated Tuesday. So I think that's the biggest uh, positive that you can find for him. That's uh, obviously fantastic news in terms of avoiding serious injury. So maybe he misses Tuesday. Maybe he doesn't even miss Tuesday. So that's obviously... Um Obviously, fantastic to hear there, but you still might be able to get some value out of Freddie Van Vliet or uh, DeLon Wright for that one game on Tuesday. Let's now look at the player spotlight, and today's player in spotlight is the Montenegro Alpha, Nikola Mirotic of the Chicago Bulls, but for how long? Mirotic has been sensational this season. In only 25 minutes per game, he's averaging 17.5 points with almost 3 threes, 7 rebounds, 0.5 steals, and 0.4 blocks on 49% from the field and 75% from the line. 
a true shooting of 63 and a three-point percentage of 47%. So there are numerous numbers there that are due to come down. The 49% from the field, I don't think we can expect that to continue. The 47% from three, I don't think we can expect that to continue. But the, the rebounds, the usage, I think we can expect an increase in defensive numbers. He's always been a guy that can hover around a steal and a block per game. He was at 0.8 and 0.8 last year, 0.9, 0.7 the year before, and 0.7 and 0.6 the year before that. So they're always around that equal value. And if you played 27 minutes a night, he'd comfortably be a, a one steal, one block per game player. The reason I want to talk about Miritic is, is numerous things. You know, someone requested it, obviously, as we do in this player spotlight, is that the uh, report came out from Adrian Wojnarowski today about you know, potential trades. Now, often when we hear about trades, those discussions are dead and done. And we've heard you know, confirmed reports that the Utah Jazz have been discussing with the Chicago Bulls in order to acquire Nikola Mirotic, and, and the Bulls want a first-round pick. Now, whether that requires Derek Favors to go back the other way or it's just the, in exchange for a first-rounder, that remains to be seen. But I guess we want to talk about what happens with Miritich moving forward. Well, if he remains on the Bulls, which at this point appears unlikely, they want to move him. He doesn't want to be there, but that can't happen until January the 15th. So we're a week away from that. And then he has to give consent for all of his trades, and he apparently is interested in Utah. So that's, I guess, why those discussions are taking place. We expect the efficiency to drop for him, no matter what team he's on. Whether it's Chicago, whether it's Utah, he won't continue to be a 47% three-point shooter, or he won't shoot 49% from the field. I think 45 and 40 are realistic expectations for Miritich, and that still puts him as a very usable fantasy guy. But some of the luster has dropped off the Montenegro and Alphas MVP campaign, and I say that obviously entirely in jest. Um, after that really hot run, especially when Lowry Markin was out at the beginning of his return from his facial fracture. If he moves to Utah, he would immediately jump ahead of guys like Joe Johnson, of Jonas Shirepko, of Tabo Cephalosha in that power forward rotation. And to be honest, with the way that Derek Favors has struggled so much playing next to Rudy Gobert, I get the feeling that Miritich would actually play more than Favors once Gobert comes back. And a Miritich-Favors front court would work very well. So he would get the same, if not more, playing time in Utah if he happened to go there. Again, we expect some of those numbers to come down, but he's a guy that you have to hold on to. And I think if that trade to Utah goes down, it actually could be a positive for him overall with the expectation that some of those um some of those percentages drop. Now, the common misconception about Miritich, oh, he's terrible, he's useless. Um, and that's clearly wrong. I think most people have seen that. But the other misconception is, oh, he's a terrible defender. And that's just not true at all. I know he's white. I know he has a beard. I know he's European. Doesn't make him a bad defender. There are plenty of good European defenders. Nick Batum's a good defender. Frank Nilakina, who we talked about yesterday. Dragon Bender is a very good European defender. There are plenty of Europeans who can defend, but they get painted with this brush that he's just this soft Euro that doesn't defend. That's a load of shit. Because Miritich has constantly been an above-average defender in the NBA. This season is the only year his defensive uh, box score plus minus hasn't been over, uh, hasn't been a positive. It's actually a negative 1.8 this year, which is not great. Uh, in this limited sample size, but he's had a positive box score plus minus through all four years of his career, and his teams have constantly been better with him on the court versus on the bench. In his rookie year, 3.8 points per 100 possessions better. His second year, 2.9. His third year, 8.1, when he was horribly, horribly mismanaged by Fred Hoiberg. And this year, the Bulls are a whopping 12.6 points per 100 possessions better when he is on the court versus when he is off. Some of that's offensive, but a big chunk of that is defensive as well. 
So he is putting up some uh, you know, significant numbers most of the time when he is out there, and, and we're seeing that you know, from him. Like he, people again, people think that he's this horrendous defender, and it is one one of the things that shits me the most about NBA coverage. Oh, he's can't defend, man. Useless. This Warriors even play. No, it's not. It's just not true. Like in the slightest, it's not even remotely true that Nick Miritich can't defend. He is a strong defender. He is a an above average defender. Is how I would uh, put his numbers. And then he can provide stuff offensively. He's not just a three point stand in the corner shooter, as we've seen. He creates off the dribble. He can do plenty of things. I am a huge Miritich fan, as you're all well aware. He's got a um, advanced numbers this year, like a PER of 23, which is obviously sensational, a true shooting of 62. He's only had one year of below average PER, and again, that was last year. Um, but it, he was so much better than what, what that would uh, indicate in terms of um, yeah, his on-off contribution to the team. If we have a look at how he looks uh, defensively this year, He's got a when he's on the court, he's got a team's got an offensive rating of 112 and 109 defensively. So he's he's a positive on the court. So that you know it shows that his defense does have something. 109 is not a horrendous defensive rating for as an individual number. We do have to. I think he. I think he can finish the season as a top 100 guy. I'm, I'm pretty confident that he can finish as a top 100 guy. Could he be a top 50 guy? That might be pushing it. But say Derek Favors does move out, and that appears to be an indication that whether he goes to Chicago or he's moved out of Utah altogether, that if Favors goes and we play 30 minutes of Miritich, then the top 50 is absolutely in reach for him. So before he is traded, maybe you can acquire him. Because obviously there's a risk there. Because there's a risk that he could go backwards. He could go to a worse situation. But he's got the veto power. I don't think he says, yeah, I want to go to a team where I won't play at all. Now, he, he might that might be going onto a really good team, and maybe that does happen. But he's got the veto power as to where he ends up going in a trade. So bear that in mind. He'll want to be able to, to you know, be in a in a significant role. So I think that there's a, a better than 50% chance he moves to a situation where he will be in, in a slightly larger role than what he's in Chicago. And that can only help his, his numbers. It might take a little bit of time for him to get integrated. But if someone's really panicking about a Nikola Miritich trade and they own him, you might be able to get him at a bargain rate. I'd be trying guys like Taj Gibson to try and get him. I'd be trying, um, I, I'd, who else would I try and get, uh, for him? I would be trying guys like Willie Cauley Stein. Maybe to even get Nick Miritich in, in that cell. Like Corley Stein's been pretty strong, so maybe not, maybe not a guy like him. But I'd be I'd be going much lower than where he currently is, and you know, saying like, yeah, uncertainty of the trade, all that sort of stuff, and yeah, he's, he's going to move, and all all that sort of all that sort of thing. Yeah, you can play up Utah's slower pace if someone says, oh yeah, he, he might be able to do these sort of things. Um, so you know, oh yeah, Utah's playing so slow that might be an impact on him. So. Have a look at at Miritich. I love what he's done. He's in his fourth season. He's looking strong. He's into the prime of his career. Uh, he's showing more of the things that I expected from him over the last couple of seasons because he's getting that opportunity. And I think a trade for him could actually really work out quite well. So Nick Miritich is our player spotlight. And it's going to be very interesting over the course of the next week or two to see if he does end up getting moved. But remember, the majority of time that we, that we hear... Talk, trade talks saying that these teams have discussed it, that means that they've discussed it and they've rejected it. And then that, that the rumor comes out after that majority of the time. So maybe that doesn't happen, but I thought I would address it here. Let's crack on to DFS for Tuesday's action in the NBA. The first game we're going to take a look at is the Miami Heat and the Toronto Raptors. Of course, Kyle Lowry is the status that we do need to pay attention to. DeLon Wright at 4,800 would be an absolute lock for cash. 
Um, otherwise, even if Lowry plays, given it's a, a limited slate, I think that D-line is a GPP guy, but you'd smash him if uh, Kyle is out. I like Tyler Johnson at 5400 as a solid cash option here, especially considering how much his salary has dropped on Fangio. He's got that ability to be a 25 or 26-point guy, while Freddie Van Vliet at 36 would absolutely jump into yeah, cash considerations if Kyle is out. The iron shoulder's been strong recently, but I don't like that price. 6500 for Goran. He's been strong, but even in that last game where he was good, he only put up 29 points, which isn't quite enough at 6500 There are other ways to go. At shooting guard, the Dukes at 4400 GPPs only. And then you've got DeMar at 9300 And if Lowry's ruled out as I expect, then DeRozan at that price feels like a very good anchor for a cash lineup who should be able to get 40-45 yeah, relatively comfortably. At small forward, speaking of locks, Josh Richardson at 5,600. That is just comically low. He's averaging 32 over his last five, 35 over his last three. And many people ask me, that sounded very Trumpy, so I apologize. Many people ask me, Josh, how do you, you, you build a lineup? And the way I do it is I don't go in and I don't find a, who's my stud that I want to put in. Who's my cheap guy? I go, who is a guy that I am very confident that is going to exceed the ratio on that price? Like, so, Tomorrow, it's probably going to be DeLon, but it's also going to be Josh Richardson. Like Those two guys, like bang them in. Let's go. These are two guys that I feel comfortable about. Josh giving me 30 to 35, and DeLon giving me a 28 to 35, which at their price points is a very good start to a cash line. So I'd go and put those guys in first, and then I fill in around them. And then you see, have you got... left, then you can make moves. Okay, well, in this position, he might not have as good of a ratio, but if I've got $8,000 left, I can spend the extra money here and get actually just more gross points without it being a a points per dollar sort of equation. Other small forwards in this game, CJ Miles at minimum salary, while the Jedi OG Ananobi is also minimum. Maybe you look at Miles as an extra source of offense if Lowry misses, but he would be tournament only at power forward. I like Serge Ibaka quite a bit at 5,900, while Kalia Linick at 6,000 has been putting up strong performances, but he's a little bit up and down. He's more of a tournament guy, especially with the unknown as to how they use Hassan Whiteside here. Jimmy Johnson at 5,700, I also, also think, is a very strong cash play. He does very well against his former team. At center, Jonas Valanciunas at 5,500. Lowry out. I might lean in cash for that one. Probably not, but I might. Uh, otherwise, it's a it's a GPP. But if Lowry's in, I think it's a little bit hard to use at that price. 76 for Whiteside's not something I'm keen on. Nogueira, Pirtle, and Bam. Probably not going to happen for either of those guys either, or any of those guys. On to... DraftKings, DeRozan at 83 is a lock regardless of Lowry's status. I think that's super strong, as is Abarca at 5,600. I love both of those. And Olenek at 57, again, still leaning more towards tournaments. Joshy Richardson, way less of a priority play on DraftKings, 6,200. Now, he's putting up numbers that are, that are right around that level, but we're not talking about a bloke who's you know, $600 under price, which is what he what he is on Fangio. So he's not as strong there. Tyler Johnson's pretty good at 54, and Valanciunas, the same stuff applies as it does for Jim Johnson and of course D-line at 4400 we're getting right on board with that if he um if he happens to uh get the start or, or if Lowry happens to be out I think there's a there's a big chance that of course that uh, that that happens with um with this back spasm that he suffered today let's move on to the next game now we're going to talk uh, who is the next game it's the Portland Trailblazers and the Oklahoma City Thunder Andre Robertson out of this one. Dame Lillard out as well. So Shabazz Napier, 
Okay, now I talked about D-Line. I talked about Joshy Richardson. Shabazz is the guy that you lock in as well. 4800 on Fangio. I don't care that they've bumped him by $1,000. We're talking about a bloke who should be priced at 663 based on the way that he plays when the lid's out. So that is an absolute lock. If you're playing cash, you can't not have Napier in. Maybe he's a fade in tournaments, but he is absolutely a cash must play. And then on the other side, Russell Westbrook, 11800 If you're able to get these other cheap guys in, which I think you can with Napier, with Richardson, with Wright around, Westbrook's obviously going to have that 55, almost 55-point 55 floor, plus a 70-point upside, so he is a, a strong option there. And uh, with Robertson out, Fatface Ray Felton's getting some extra playing time. It's not really translating into huge performances, but maybe if you need a cheaper point guard for cash, you could rely upon him to get close to 20. At shooting guard, CJ McCollum without Dame, he gets a significant boost at 7,500. I like him as a strong cash option as well, while Pat Connaughton also moves into the GPP realm. Now, Terrence Ferguson struggled in the last game due to foul trouble against Booker. He's at 3,600 here. He's definitely worth a GPP guy because if he stays out of foul trouble and plays 30 minutes, he can hit his threes, he can get steals, and he could comfortably exceed that 20-point mark. So he is absolutely a tournament-based guy. At small forward, Paulie George, 83. I like him for both. Mo Harkless at minimum salary had 33 in 24 minutes in the last game. And without Lillard, he has played quite well. So I would absolutely consider using him. And Evan Turner at 4,000. I would prefer Harkless over Turner now that we know that, uh, that Lillard is gone. At power forward, the chief, Al Farouk Aminu, 5,300. He is hit and miss. That is a perfect GPP guy, but absolutely not for cash, in my opinion. While Mallow at 6,300, I just have no interest in that. At center, Yusuf Nurkic has been really coming along recently. He is at 7,500, which is probably a little bit high, but he's got a good record of playing well against OKC. The Stephen Adams defense does give me a level of concern, but as I've said, he's averaged 46 the last three times he's taken on the Thunder, and that's a fantastic number. At that $7,500 price point, he is a GPP guy at this point. Well, Adams at $7,100, I'd probably fade him, and I'd much prefer to use Nurkic in this scenario. On DraftKings, there's tons of guys I like for both cash and tournaments. Aminu at 4500 Napier at 54 So again, less appealing than on Fangio, but still a must-roster guy. Nurkic at 69 is great. McCullum at 75, Paulie George at 78, and Russ at 11,500. Lots of guys who I like for their consistency levels in cash games over on DraftKings in that, in that matchup. Let's go to the next one now. We've got the Orlando Magic and the Dallas Mavericks. The Mavericks are favored by six and a half, and the total is 213.5 points. At point guard, Dennis Smith Jr., 6,100. He's actually been putting up some okay numbers. In his last five games, his lowest score is 28. And at 6,100, that is a bloody good floor. In that last game, he played only 24 minutes and still had 28 points, even though he was benched down the stretch. It is an absolutely fantastic matchup for Smith. Point guards against Orlando have gone bananas pretty much all season. I like this for Smith. I love it for tournaments. I could even be talked into using him for cash, apart from the fact that D-Lon and Shabazz both exist. But in tournaments, love it. Berea at 62, probably a little bit too highly priced, whereas Lord Alfred at 7,900, again, a little bit too highly priced given the value in other spots. At shooting guard, Evan Fournier is at 6,000. I like Fournier a lot. That's too high. He's more of a 52, 5300 sort of a player. Maybe tournaments, but that's about it. Then you've got Wes Matthews, whose performances of late have been strong. I don't have any level of trust in what Matthews can do. So at 5,500, I'd consider him a tournament guy, but far from a strong one. 
John Simmons at 57, he's questionable with that back injury that's kept him out of the last couple. If he is out, then we go all aboard the Mario Hazonia trade, who is at 4,000. Train, who's at 4,800. I'm not interested in Simo, even if he does play. The pencil Harrison Barnes is at 6,800. Always a pretty strong cash guy with a limited tournament upside in most cases. At power four, Dirks at 53. The numbers have dipped over the last couple, but he is definitely a bounce-back candidate. I don't think that it's a horrendous con- uh, spot to use him in cash. Well, Dwight Powell let everyone down in the last game. He's at 4,400, but absolutely worth in, in a tournament. I hate the price on Aaron Gordon. 8,300, but he's got 70-point upside, so you have to include him in your GP people. But the matchup isn't conducive to a great line. At center, Biombo's at 56. I think that's pretty good for cash. I think there is some tournament upside there. I like Biombo, while most Spates and Salah Mejri, they're not really getting it done for anybody. On to DraftKings. The pencil's at 7,000, so obviously higher price than Fangio, but I still like it. Lord Alfred at 7,200. I am behind Peyton at that price. Just a much more appealing price point than where he sits over on Fangio. And Dwighty Powell at 3,800 is an interesting GPP guy. Now, Dennis Smith, more highly priced on DraftKings, so that takes a little bit of the appeal away from him at 6,200. More of a GPP, as is Azza Gordon, at 8,600. The last game of the day, we've got the Sacramento Kings and the LA Lakers. The Kings... They are still playing uh, as of currently recording. There is almost almost assuredly going to be a change to their lineup, and I don't know what that change is going to be. Zach Randolph returned today. George Hill is back. Or, or Sorry, George Hill could be back for tomorrow. I just don't know what it's going to be. I can pretty much assure you that Vince Carter won't play, but there will be multiple changes to their lineup, so really hard to rely upon a lot of their guys. At point guard in this one, Jordy Clarkson's at 4,600. He's got the 30-point upside, but I'm definitely not relying upon him for cash. While Georgie Hill at 46, if we hear that he is in, he also enters the tournament pool. Lonzo is, yeah, but he's playing well. He's putting up good numbers, but 7,800 is too high for Lonzo Ball. So uh, I'm not even sure his tournament upside's high enough to consider him at that price. While De'Aaron Fox at 5,600 is putting together some pretty strong games and looks pretty good so far in that uh, in this Kings and Spurs game from the tiny bit that I saw of it. He's putting up some numbers. So if you want to go cash on anyone, Fox could be that guy. But if Mason and Hill are back for that next game on Tuesday, that puts a huge dent in it. So let's go with GPP for him. Bogdan's at 4,600. Bogdan Bogdanovich. I feel okay about his floor in cash, which I can't really say for any of these other guys, while Budrick Heald at 47 is the GPP guy. If you want to go look at it that way, yeah, Bogdan for cash, maybe Heald as a tournament sort of guy. Kentavious Caldwell-Pope and Joshy, the hitman Hart, putting up some uh, okay numbers, or Hart more, more so than KCP, whose minutes have reduced. I would want nothing to do with KCP, and I don't really want much to do with Josh Hart at this point. At small forward, I like Brandon Ingram. $7,000 for Ingram. I think it's a, it's a good match. I know it's a good matchup against the Kings. He should have that ability to go out there with a 40, 45-point upside. I do like this for Ingram for cash and for tournaments. And, of course, the Kings don't have a small forward on their roster. The Lakers also are going to be signing Jamil Wilson to a 10-day contract. He won't be available to play in this game, but he might be a guy that comes in and takes, say, Corey Brewer's minutes. Uh, fingers crossed. At power forward, Zebos at 5,500. It's a back-to-back. Will he play? We don't know yet. He is a tournament guy given the fluctuations in his minutes and production. While the future MVP, Kyle Kuzma, is struggling in a big way. His salary at 5,700 is appealing, but he's averaging just under 22 points in his last five games. So I don't want to think about that as a cash play off the bench. He's more of a GPP guy. 
The starting power forward is Julius Randle, but he's listed as a center on Fangio, and he's at 7,100, and that is a very, very strong fade for me. While Will Cauley-Stein at 7,500 has been putting up some pretty strong performances before today's game, averaging 35 over his last five, but that's that's $6,700 too expensive for Cauley-Stein, so maybe in a tournament, but even then, I'm not sure his upside is going to cut it at that sort of a salary. On DraftKings, I like Ingram a lot at 68. I like Lonzo more, way more at 7,300. So he'd be a cash option even over there. And Randall at 6,100 is also fairly strong. Corley Stein uh, in play, while Kuzma out of it completely, 6,200. While Budrick at 47 is you know, pretty piss weak in terms of a, of a play type guy. Let's go on to the other sites and uh, wrap this up. On Yahoo for GPPs, Ingram. Julius Randle, Evan Turner, Darren Fox, Mo Harkless. And for cash games, uh, we've got Dwighty Powell, we've got Dirk, we've got Wes Matthews, Serge Ibaka, Shabazz Napier, Lonzo Ball, Yusuf Nurkic, Kyle Lowry, and Lord Alfred Payton. On Moneyball for GPPs, it's Westbrook, DeRozan, Sorry, for GPPs, let's go again. So Westbrook, Julius Randle, Dennis Smith Jr., Kyle Kuzma, Jonas Valanciunas, Budrick Heald, Evan Turner, and uh, that's it. And for cash, we've got Mo Harkless, DeLon Wright, Wes Matthews, Joshie Richardson, Stephen Adams, Harrison Barnes, The Pencil, Shabazz Napier, McCullum, Ingram, Nurkic, Azza Gordon, Paulie George, and DeRozan. And for draft stars, for GPPs, Alfred Payton, Julius Randle, Kelly Olenek, Jonas Valanciunas, Dwight Powell, Evan Turner. And for cash, it's DeLon Wright, Tyler Johnson, El Farouk Wes Matthews, JJ Barea, Shabazz Napier, Yusuf Nurkic, Lonzo Ball, CJ McCollum, Paul George, and Damar DeRozan. Don't forget to check out basketballmonster.com and to follow me on Twitter at redrock underscore bball. My name is Josh Lloyd. I am the lead fantasy analyst over at basketballmonster.com. And check out the rest of the podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network by following us on Twitter at LockedOnNBANet. If you do listen to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Give us a five-star review. You can also find it on Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Spotify, and of course, YouTube, where you can give me a thumbs up, you can leave a comment, and you can subscribe as well. We are done here, guys. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya. James.